Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Tis the season for resolutions. Uh, this is the time each and every year that people kind of take a self-evaluation of themselves. And I actually really like resolutions. I'm a natural introspective introvert. And so resolutions and goal settings are kind of right up my alley. Uh, And so a resolution is mainly this. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think about where I've been, where I'm at, and where I want to go. And I'm going to think through what are the things I need to do in order to get there. And yet, what's the running joke with New Year's resolutions? They all fail. By like January 5th, I think the studies show. And so I just for fun went to a little website called Google and I Googled uh, what were the most failed New Year's resolutions. And so I want you to think, we're gonna have a little game here, a little family feud style. And I want you to think, hey, what do you think are the most failed New Year's resolutions? I want you to think about that. Maybe you can share it with the person next to you. If you're maybe thinking, I'm not sure, What's the thing that you've said you're going to do that you know you're not? All right? So are you ready? You got it in your mind? You shared it with the person next to you? All right. Number five, the most failed New Year's resolution is to learn something new. If that's you, congratulations. You just learned something new <laughs> right now. So check. Moving on. Number four, volunteer. If that's you little website called citybridgechurch.org slash kids. Um, go there, plenty of opportunities for you to fulfill that New Year's resolution right here, right now. Number three, quit a bad habit. Quit a bad habit. And so we're gonna collectively say ours on three. You ready? One, two, no, I'm just kidding, kidding. It's a safe place, but that's for community, all right? You share that with community later. Number two, eat healthier. Full disclosure, After two months of eating nothing but butter, fat, and sugar in my life, and like mostly candy, way more than a normal human adult should eat, uh, this one's on my list. So eat healthier. And this is attached to number one, which is to lose weight and get fit. So let's be honest in here. How many of y'all got either weight equipment or workout clothes for Christmas? Okay, come on. I did. Probably not going to do it anyways. So... Now, here's the thing. Like, I love resolutions. I I think that they're great. I think it's a really good practice, a Christian practice, to pause and to think about where am I right now and where am I wanting to go and how am I going to get there? And yet the problem with most resolutions is that they're actually very short-sighted. They're too small. They're too insignificant for the grandness of what God is actually calling us to do. And so something that has actually marked my life was years ago when I was in my early 20s, I read this this book called The Resolutions by Jonathan Edwards. It was actually a journal entry that he wrote uh, over like 90 resolutions and don't think goals to achieve, but rather guidelines to live by. And I read them and it began to inform my mind about not just what do I want to do, but who is God calling me to be? Because what I do each and every day is actually becoming who I'm going to be tomorrow and the next day and throughout the rest of my life. And so I read these resolutions that all kind of begin with the word resolve, resolve to do this, resolve to do this, resolve to do this. And it really marked and transformed my life. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at resolutions. 
Uh, We're gonna look at, you know, um, different ways by which God has given us um, tracks to run on in this world. And so if most resolutions are done by January 5th, it's January 2nd, I'm gonna save you three days because I wanna kind of destroy the common resolutions we have in our culture. And I wanna replace them with what God would have for us. And so we're gonna be talking about resolutions. And again, this is not goals to achieve. This is guidelines to live by. If this was the street, these are the guardrails that keep you safe. If this was bowling, these are little bumpers that you pull out, you know, when you're not great at bowling and you can roll that ball down and still play and still have fun and not throw your ball into the gutter, right? This is what God would have us for. And these aren't mine. These are things that godly men and women have done throughout the ages that have radically impacted their life. And yet for these, these five, for me, are ones that have so locked onto my life that I am who I am today because of them. So we're looking at these resolutions and we have to get into our mind a couple things beforehand. One, Timothy Keller says this, that we have to stop our silly self-improvement project and start simply surrendering to what the Lord would have for us. Like so many resolutions are just that, just this like self-improvement project. And if we're honest, we do these things because we wanna be like a better, more enlightened version of ourselves and kind of self-actualize. Or if we really dig down deep enough, we do these things because we think that we will be more loved, more liked, more popular, more accepted. If there's some greater version of a future self that maybe my spouse will love more, my kids will love more, my boss will love more, my God will love more. And we have to put that to death. We have to stop our silly self-improvement project and simply surrender to what the Lord would have for us. Because what we are doing today is who we're becoming tomorrow. So we're gonna look at five resolutions, guardrails, guidelines, by which God wants us to live our lives. So first up, resolve to be marked by intimacy with Jesus. To be marked by intimacy with Jesus. John 15 says it this way, verse four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if you've been with us this past year, we moved through the gospel of John and this was one of those like climactic moments in the gospel of John where Jesus is about to leave his disciples, go be crucified, raised from the grave, ascend into heaven. And what he is telling his disciples is this primary command, I want you to abide in me. And that word abide, I love how Jeff defined it when we walked through this in John is that abiding is a constant connection with Christ. It's not just a moment of a Bible study quickly in the morning as you move throughout your day, but rather it's a constant, continual connection with the person of Jesus Christ. I love how Jude defines it. In Jude 20, he says this, he says, but you, beloved, it starts with the reality that you are loved. It says you, beloved, this isn't to earn God's love, you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy of faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, watch this, keep yourself in the love of God, 
Beloved, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There is one main command in Jude 20 and 21, which is to keep yourself, to abide, to remain, to rest in what? The love of God. And so beloved, walk in, accept, embrace, remember, be reminded that there is this canopy of God's love that is over you and in you. And he tells us how we're supposed to do that. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? He says, first, building up yourself up in the faith that you would find ways to strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ. But then he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. That means praying in line with what the Holy Spirit would have you pray while we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so how do you keep yourself in the love of God? You build yourself up in faith. You pray in the Holy Spirit as you wait for the coming and the mercies of Jesus Christ to return. The primary responsibility and activity of the believer is not do, 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 do but rather be. The primary activity of the believer is to position himself or herself before the Lord to be reminded, to remember, to reflect upon, and to rejoice in the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ, that we would be marked by an intimacy with Jesus. And for me, I missed that for years. You see, I came to Christ in seventh grade and kind of thought, oh, you come to Christ and you kind of just like float around on a cloud and you're, you're just like perfect after that, uh, false. Uh, I was a middle school boy, so far from perfection at that point and still far from per- perfection today. But middle school went by, high school went by, college went by. I felt called to ministry, went to ministry, uh, went into full-time vocational ministry after college. And for six years, I was a really good soldier of Christ Jesus, but I was a lousy son. You see, a soldier can go and do and do and do and perform, but a son has to sit and receive without offering anything in return. And I was lousy at that. And so what it led for me was a season of immense burnout, so much so that when I came here, I was emotionally, spiritually, physically, every perceivable gauge in my life was at zero. And yet what I did was the same thing I had grown accustomed to, which I just jumped in and I just started saying yes to all these different things because I was like the new guy and I needed to kind of make a splash and make my name known. And so I got here and I said yes to all these different things. And it wasn't three weeks before I was so overwhelmed once again that I was at home in the fetal position crying. And I felt convicted in that moment. Hey, you need to tell your boss this. You need to tell Kyle this, Kyle Kegler who was then my boss, now my boss, and will forever be my boss. Um, But I called him up and we got together and and I just began to share my heart with him. Hey, this is where I'm really at. And I'll be honest, I didn't know how that conversation was gonna go. I actually thought I was gonna get let go Um, because I was the new guy and I can't take it. And in, in that moment, I saw what would become our motto play out with him, which is we wanna be a high call and he had a safe place. And so it was a safe place for me to share what was really going on in my heart. And instead of casting me out, he called me to something bigger and better. After I shared, I, he, he said, hey, thanks for sharing, and how do we get you back on the right track? 
How do we take some stuff off your plate so that you can focus in and double down on intimacy with Jesus? Because he looked at me and he said, and I'll never forget it. He said, Derek, who you are in Jesus is more important than what you do for Jesus. And I never heard that before. I always thought that I was saved to go and kind of like make waves in the kingdom of God. And yet God showed me in that moment through Kyle that who I am in Christ, my identity in Christ is more important than my activity for Christ. And I never really heard that before. And yet through that time, I went on this journey and I, and I begin to see over and over in scripture how many times Jesus' primary concern for us is for us to, to, just to be with him. That the heart of God is that he wants to be with you. He's not looking for you to do something before he's looking just to be with you. In fact, Mark 3, 14, I love this. When Jesus calls his apostles, it says, he appointed the 12 who he also named the apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. You see that? I started reading verses like this and I started writing in my journal things like intimacy with Jesus leads to impact for Jesus. I started writing things like full devotion to Jesus leads to a fullness of life in Jesus. Or as Ian Bounds says, to be little with Jesus is to be little for Jesus. And so I don't know what it is for you this year, but my challenge for you and my challenge for myself is to continuously find things that stir your affections for God that you would find those things that stir your affections, stir your joy, stir, stir up that love that God has for you that you could reflect it back at him. For me, I love going on runs. I love being in nature. And then after I go for a run, I begin to walk around and I just recite Psalms in my head over and over or other scripture parts. And I just use that as prayers back to God. It stirs my affections for God. So I don't know what it is for you, but my challenge for you is to cultivate a constant connection with Christ. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. And if we really believe that, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing, then that should radically impact our prayer life, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we engage with people that are far from the Lord. If we really believe that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, it would radically transform us. And so first and foremost, let's resolve to be marked by intimacy with Jesus. That's the first one. The second one is to resolve to align my priorities with God's, that that would be our heart and our prayer, that we would align our priorities with God's. We have our priorities so upside down so often, and what God often does in our stories, he flips them right side up. Uh, Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And so that word first is the Greek word primos. It's where we get the word primary. That God wants you to primarily seek him and his kingdom and his righteousness. And it says when you do that, all these other things will be added to you. And in the context of that, he's talking about uh, uh, anything you need for life. Anything you truly need to get by on the day to day, God goes, you're, we spend so much time focusing on those things. And he goes, okay, let that go. I want you to seek primarily God and his kingdom and his righteousness. And when you seek that first, all these other little things that we need will be added to us by the very God that we're seeking. And so that's true of the mundane of life, the day-to-day -day realities of life, but it's also true as we develop those muscles of seeking first the kingdom of God, they have a huge impact when life happens. 
the good, the hard, the bad, the beautiful. For me this past year, um, my wife and I had to make a pretty significant decision. Uh, to be very clear, we got a job offer at another place. Um, and it was a lot of what I'm doing now, but it was more money and it was a bigger platform. And when I first got the offer, my knee jerk response was like, no, like I, I would need to see a burning bush to tell me that, I, that God wants me to leave this place because I love this place and I love the people here. And yet, as I begin to kind of linger on some of the perks, all of a sudden I was like, you know, we could actually afford that house. You know, like maybe, maybe God does want us to get that jet ski. You know, like we just, being honest, <laughs> the mind starts to go. And what was happening in me is I started to see like, look, these were great people. I love them. I would have had a ball doing ministry with them. I had done ministry before with them. It's just, but my priorities were being flipped. And I started to dwell on things that God doesn't call us to dwell on. And all of a sudden, that man, that, that's an easy no became a, well, maybe, you know, like, but then my wife and I, we begin to process and pray and seek scripture and seek biblical counsel, both from our community group, but also the wider community that God's wrapped around us here at City Bridge. And we begin to process and God just brought forward the three primary priorities in our life. And so we just asked three questions. One, what does the Lord want from us in this? And he has trump cards. Whatever the answer is to that, the rest of the questions don't matter as much. But the first question was, what does the Lord have for us? What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God in this moment? The second question was, what's best for our family? There was a moment in which um, my son, who's almost two years old, uh, was just, he, he's in this like giggly state right now in which like I lay on the ground, he jumps on me and he just laughs and he giggles. And that was happening and my wife was in the room and I just prayed in that moment, God, whatever gets me more of this has to be the right answer. The third was, how can I use, and my wife use our time, our talents, our treasures to make the biggest wake in the kingdom of God? What does God have for us? What's best for our family? And then how can I steward what God's given me for his name and his glory? And as we got those priorities clear in our mind, the answer was obvious. And we said no to a really good opportunity so that we could say yes to a really great one. And so to be clear, I did say no. And unless God tells me to leave, a paycheck or a platform won't get me out of here. God has led us this far and he has not led us astray. And so we are with him until the end. And that means we're with you until he lets us go. So get used to it. I'm gonna be around. So thank you the glitz began to fade as our priorities got right. So City Bridge, life's gonna come at you this year. There were sweet moments of joy in 2021 for us and there were terrible moments of sorrow. And that same reality is gonna play out in 2022 and 2023 and until the Lord comes back, you're gonna have moments this year that are gonna be marked by intense joy and laughter and love. And there's gonna be times this year that it's gonna be marked by sorrow, by pain, by doubt. No matter what happens, you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness in the little things of the day to day, but use those to build your muscles because big things happen and we don't know when that's gonna happen. And we have to have our priorities right. 
and they must be aligned with God's because he does not lead us astray. And so let's choose this year time with the Lord over the next episode. Let's choose this year time with family over getting an edge at work. Let's choose this year to use our time, our talents, our treasures to love others versus making much of ourselves. Let's resolve to align our priorities with God's. It will make all the difference. Number three, resolve to discipline my life to love God and to love others. To discipline my life to love God and to love others. Luke 10, 27 says this, and he, Jesus, answered them. They were asking him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so there's 613 commands in the Old Testament. 613 commands in the Old Testament. That's a lot of commands. If you think that's a lot, there's 1,050 in the New Testament. It's a lot of commands. And what Jesus does is if you begin to look at all those commands, you see a pattern resonating that God wants you to primarily do two different things, to love him and to love others. And so I tell people all the time, when you wake up in the morning, you really only have two things to do each day, which is to love God and to love other people. It just manifests itself in different ways. And so I had to put in here though, discipline my life to do these things because <laughs> nobody drifts towards godliness. Left unchecked, I will drift towards the opposite of love, which is selfishness. And I will do what Jonathan Edwards warned against. He said, the great sin of mankind was the love that was meant to radiate out from us has curled in upon ourselves. And when I'm not abiding, when I'm not resting, when I'm not having my priorities checked by the priorities of God, I will find myself curled in upon myself and seeking Derek's little kingdom. But when I'm walking deeply with Jesus and I'm disciplining my life to love God and love people, it makes all the difference. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 6, he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained, it's a discipline. In the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irrelevant or silly myths, and he didn't even have the internet back then, but having nothing to do with irrelevant or silly myth, but rather what? Train yourself, there it is again, uh, for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, it does have value. You can go to the gym, you can get fit. It looks like you're flexing when you're not. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for this life and the life to come. That it's not a wrong thing to take care of yourself physically. And that's, in fact, that's a part of loving the Lord with all of your strength. And yet he says, hey, that has an end date to it. But when you train yourself for godliness, it makes all the difference, both in this life and the life to come. And so for me, some of the best practices that I've had is I kind of imagine my life is like a dashboard in a car in which there's four different gauges, scale of one to 10. 10 being going strong, one, zero being, okay, a lot of work needs to be done here. And I just sit there and I go, okay, how am I doing? Those four different gauges are how am I doing, loving the Lord your God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so I go, how am I loving the Lord my God spiritually? What's the gauge, one to 10? And I just think through that. Am, am I lingering with him? Or am I rushing through my time with him just to get to what I really wanna do? Am I prioritizing him? Am I seeking him first, not just in a singular moment throughout the day, but throughout my day? Am I remembering, am I walking, am I abiding? How am I doing spiritually? How am I doing physically? Am I taking care of myself? Am I exercising, am I eating right, am I sleeping? that has a direct connection to your walk with Jesus, it does. 
Whenever I don't do those things, I find myself sluggish and lazy, and all of a sudden, that becomes this hurdle from even wanting to open up my Bible and to spend time with God. But when I'm working out and I'm taking care of myself and I'm sleeping right and I'm exercising, all of a sudden, that hurdle becomes a lot less. So how am I doing spiritually? How am I doing physically? How am I doing mentally? What am I filling my mind with? Am I filling my mind with the things of God or am I filling my mind with whatever the algorithm tells me the next thing I need to watch, you know? Which one is it? Am I filling my thoughts and my mind throughout the day with the words of God? Am I thinking of only what is good, what is true, what is noble, what is kind? Am I dwelling on the positive or begrudging the negative? What's being inputted into my mind? And then emotionally, am I laughing? Am I falling more in love with Jesus? Am I more in love with Jesus now than I was six months ago, a year ago? Because a Pharisee can have a Bible study. A Pharisee can have a, 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 a time with the Lord. But when we deeply walk with Jesus, we are meant to fall more deeply in love with him. And I wanna know, where is that at with me right now? Am I going through the motions? Or am I falling deeper in love with the God who saved me? And so I look at that dashboard and I just go, where am I at? Am I a six, am I a two, am I a four? And then what are the tweaks that I need to change by the spirit of God working within me to adjust those this coming year? We said it from the beginning, we have a 4B coming up. And the temptation is just to wedge that into a part of your day, just going, okay, I have to be a member to do this. And so, yes, I'm doing great. 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 And we just kind of just right click all the way down. My encouragement to you is to pause to create margin, to create space in which you can sit down and really ask yourself that question, where am I at right now with my walk with the Lord? How am I loving him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all my soul? That's how I love the Lord your God with, all my, um, with everything in me and as I grow in that. In regards to loving others, I do something similar. Um, if we're supposed to love God this way and then love others as ourselves, something, a practice that I've done is I, I take these like concentric circles. Sometimes I draw them. Sometimes I just have them in my mind. At the center point, I put Jesus. And then the next one, I put my family. So my wife and my son. And then I put church and community. And then I put neighbors in the world. And I just use that both to kind of evaluate where I'm at with that. But also it's one of my primary prayer lists. As I start there and I go, man, I'm, I don't know how much time I have to pray, but let me start with my personal connection with God, but then let me move to my family, let me move to my church community, let me move to my neighbors, let me move to the world, and it's a way that I can love the Lord your God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love my neighbor as myself. And so for you, you only have two things to do today. Let that, like feel that. You only have two things to do today and it's to love God and it's to love people. Love God and to love people. So when you walk into a room, you love God and you love people. When your kids are screaming, you love God and you love people. My son just learned the word no. And we are learning that he has a will that is different than ours. And when he says no for the umpteenth thousandth time in a day, that's an opportunity to either respond in the flesh and frustration or to respond in the spirit of God and love him in this moment. To ask myself, how do I love him in this moment? Even if that means discipline. 
when you walk into a board meeting, when you walk into doing your Monday task, when you're doing dishes, when you're home, getting home at the end of the day tired, you ask yourself, how do I love God and love people in this moment? Resolve to discipline your life to love God and to love people. That's number three. Number four, to resolve to excel at the revealed will of God. To excel at the revealed will of God. First Thessalonians 4, 3 says it this way. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions and lusts like the Gentiles who, by the way, don't know God. That's not you. You know God. Verse six, that no one transgresses or wrongs a brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you before him and solemnly warn you for God has not called us to impurity but to holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. It's so amazing. Like I I hear the question so often, hey, what's the will of God for my life? Whenever I was a student pastor, that was like every, every junior like wanted a meeting with me. It was like, hey, what's the will of God for my life? I'm like, I love that you asked that question. Let me tell you, because God tells us the will of God for your life is your sanctification, your holiness, you becoming more and more like Christ on a daily basis. My life verse is 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 19, that says this, that we with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next because this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That as we behold Christ, we are becoming who we are meant to be. You become what you behold. When you behold Christ, you become more and more like him. The number one advice I give people who are struggling with a major life decision is simply excel at the revealed will of God and then trust God with the unrevealed will. This is something I pray for my my boy every single night. I pray that he would be a Psalms 1 type man, that he would be a blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight would be in the law of the Lord and on his law he would meditate on day and night. Why? So that he would be like a tree planted by streams of water, which is Christ. His roots would go deep into the ground and that would be nourished by Jesus from within. And then his arms would be outstretched with praise of a God who loves him and his life would bear fruit for him. That is a prayer and it's jacked straight from Psalms 1 that I want him to excel at the revealed will of God. And let me be clear, it is war to do so. Two years ago, my wife and I sat down because anxiety for me was kicking my tail. Like that's one of my biggest ditches. I went to Regen and it helped out a whole lot, but it was still just like a daily battle. And so what we did is it was like, this is the year that we are going to war against this. And so we pulled out a sheet of paper and in the middle of the sheet of paper, we drew a circle and we wrote an anxiety in the middle and at the top we put go to war. Because we're in a battle and so many of us are blind to it, which is why you're being defeated. Sin does not have victors, it only has victims. And so we put anxiety in the middle because that was mine and we just kind of mind mapped everything else. We just kind of go, okay, what are my triggers? What are the things, where am I at whenever anxiety really kind of takes root in me? What am I giving my heart to that creates that fear which leads to that anxiety? And we wrote everything around and then we wrote different ways that we were gonna 
combat this and focus on this full flesh and full on. And I have not arrived yet, but two years later, my wife and I were at dinner the other night and we do this like year in review with one another in which we ask each other the same questions each and every year. What was your favorite moment of the year? What was your favorite vacation? And one of the questions we asked is, how have I seen you grow this year? My wife looked at me and she said, I have seen you have more joy and less anxiety than I've ever seen you. It's worth it, City Bridge. I'm not saying it's not gonna cost you something. I'm saying it's worth paying that cost. And so fight like your life depends on it because sin leads to death and sin has no victors, only victims yourself and everyone around you that you love and care about. So let's go to war. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what goes in the middle, but you go to war. This might be the year that you go, this is the year I'm finally jumping into region because I realize that I have hurts and habits that are hanging me up like we all do. Maybe this is the year they're going, hey, I'm, I'm going to re-engage Maybe your marriage is at an eight and you wanna make it a nine. Maybe it's at a two and you wanna pump life back into it and to remember how much you did love your spouse once upon a time. But this is the year, let this be the year, let this be the month, let this be the day you start going to war. And let's resolve, resolve to excel at the revealed will of God. Sin will kill you if you don't kill it. Resolve, excel at the revealed will of God. Number five, we would resolve to live life with the end in mind. We would resolve to live life with the end in mind. Psalms 90, verse 12 says it this way, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Colossians 3, one says it this way, since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things, for you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. When you know your end, it changes how you live in the present. When you know the number of your days, it changes how you live now. When you know that you have died, on that cross with Jesus, your old self crucified with him and buried and then raised to life with him and now he is seated at the right hand of God. When your eyes are fixed there, it changes how you live in the present. When you know your end. And so one of my favorite illustrations, you may have seen it before, but it's, but it's this. I just want you to imagine that, that this rope right here represents your life. It has a beginning, but it doesn't have an end. You are an eternal being. You had a beginning, but you will not have an end. You will live forever in one place or another, either with God in eternity called heaven or away from God for eternity in a place called hell. And so as believers in Christ, we are assured that we are, will be with him forever and ever and ever. And so we are called according to Colossians 3 to set our minds on the things that are above. And yet the reality of it is, if this is our life from beginning to the end, this right here represents your time on earth. Scripture says it's like a vapor, it's like a wind. It's like grass that's here in the morning and it's gone in the evening. 
And we're called to seek and to dwell upon and have our hope in, not in these short little 80 years, if we're lucky, but in year after year after year after year of all of eternity in which every day is better than the last. That's something to dwell on. And yet, what do we do? We spend so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our effort dwelling on, getting frustrated about, getting concerned with, getting overwhelmed with the here and now. And so for most of us, our rhythm of life is just this, like, look, I'm, I'm in college and, and I'm trying to get a good grade so I can get out of college and, and, and get a good job. And then once I get that good job, I'm gonna you know, get a good house and maybe a good spouse. And maybe after a couple of years with that spouse, we're gonna have a good kid and then you know, maybe 2.5 kids or the white picket fence and you know, suburbia America. And then we're gonna move through our life and try to raise the kids the best we can and then ship them off to college or wherever what's next for them whenever they turn 18, just to get them out of the house. And then after that, we're gonna work really hard for another 20 years and then maybe in the last 10 years, maybe in the last five years, maybe in the last 15 years, we're gonna do this little thing called retirement. And we're gonna take all the money that we earned here and we're gonna pour it into ourselves for about five years. That is the way of the world. And God is calling you to something better. To not be so foolish to spend your life focusing in on the here and now, but to dwell on the riches of eternity, and because of the riches of eternity, it would radically impact how you live today. Do you know Jesus wants you to accumulate treasure? He wants you to be filthy rich. But he really cares where that treasure is. Because he says, don't accumulate treasure on earth because it's gonna get destroyed. But rather accumulate treasure in heaven where it ain't getting destroyed. We live our life with the end in mind. A couple of best practices for me as I just journey through this life. One is with my son. I just have this like shot clock over his head. Like he's almost two right now. And he's still at that age in which I can throw him in the air or I can tickle him to the ground. And it's a sweet moment in our life together. But that moment is going to be gone real quick. And I have this shot clock in my head because I know around the age of 18, he's going to be out of the house and we're going to, He's not gonna be my little two-year-old boy anymore. And so I wanna look back on this time and anytime I'm tired or just wanna check out or just wanna be on my phone around him or just wanna listen to a podcast or play a game around him and not engage with him, I just have the shot clock go over his head and it's 16 plus years and counting down, counting down, counting down. When I get to the end of his 18 years with us, I wanna look back and not think, man, I crushed that game that I played while he was wanting to play with me. I wanna think about his laughter, his joy, and how we discipline him in the Lord that he might grow up to be a man of God. With my wife, I just think of us as like, um, just old, <laughs> honestly. For whatever reason, the picture that's in my mind always with me and her that just helps me is like we're old, we're like sitting next to a fireplace and we're like knitting for some reason, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what old people do, but it sounds fun. Um, but it's like, like think of the two uh, characters from Up like in the first five minutes. Don't think past the first five minutes because it gets really dark pretty fast. But like that, like that, like that moment. And I just kind of think, oh, okay, what is it going to mean in my life right now at that point when I look back on my life, what is it going to mean of how I live my life? 
What am I doing today that's gonna impact who I'm going to be then? And how, has I, how have I poured my life out over our 40, 50, 60 years together so that she would become all she was meant to be in Christ? I wanna look over at her and smile, knowing that I gave my all for her so that she would be all she was meant to be in God. When I think about just reality, the day-to-day reality of life, I just think not about even day one of heaven. For some reason, it helps me to think of like year 10,000, year 10 million, year 10 billion. And I think through what's gonna matter then? Because what I'm doing today is who I'm becoming tomorrow. And when I think about that, look, I wake up with a to-do list every single day. But when I really think about that, I typically punt the to-do list and I start making a to-be list. I wanna be kind. I wanna be generous. I wanna be Christ-like. I wanna be sacrificial. I know that only comes because of 1 John 4, 19, that we love because Christ has first loved us. And so I think about it. And I begin to realize that I think the things that are gonna matter way over here, as we look back on these few years on earth, is not that I lost five pounds in 2022. I don't think I'm gonna be high-fiving people in heaven over that, okay? But I think what's gonna matter is a life marked by intimacy with Jesus. A life where my priorities were aligned with God's. A life that I loved God and loved others. A life where I excelled at the revealed will of God because I was thinking about the end of all things with him. And so you might be hearing all of this and saying, hey, I can't really do all that. You might be hearing, if you're more honest, you might say, I don't wanna do all of that. I wanna do my own thing. Well, here's the reality. You can't and you won't. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And if we really believe that, it would really impact how we lived our lives. You don't have the motivation or the means to accomplish anything that is worthwhile in God on your own which is why I wanna finish how we started. We started by showing all the little resolutions that most people give up on. Well, there's one resolution in scripture that we can't give up on. And this one resolution ties everything we talked about together. It's the one that matters. It's Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, who says this, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Apart from Christ, you have no motivation or means to accomplish anything worthwhile. And so let us be a people who resolve to know only two realities, Jesus Christ, who he is, his beauty, his majesty, his wonder, his sovereignty, his control, his love, Jesus Christ and him crucified, who he is, and what he's done for us. That we would be marked by a deep intimacy with this Jesus and that would impact how we live every aspect of our life. He has come to give us life and life abundantly. 
this year, this month, this day, now and forever. And so let's stop this silly self-improvement project and start simply submitting our lives to the one who is and the one who is to come, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.